I'm going to start a series for a few weeks, um, uh, start a series, we'll run for a few weeks, but started today on the topic of winning in two worlds. And in order for me to navigate what that looks like, I think I should set it up through a very ordinary example. Have you ever met somebody who can't take a compliment? Or are you somebody who can't take a compliment? You get multiple responses to people when they from people when you give them compliments. You get the, I know it, but I don't want to let you know that I know it response. That's normally followed by a thank you very much, thank you, thank you. If you're very spiritual, you say thank you, it's all the Lord, it's all Jesus. <laughs> it's all the Lord. You just add that little bit. And then you get some people who deflect. Oh, you know, this. I've had this for years. And then you get some people who are so uncomfortable in their own skin because they just can't take a compliment. They don't like themselves enough to accept that what you're saying could be true. So they reject the compliment. Maybe you're like that. I'm not going to navigate exactly just that idea. I'm sure there's layers, there are layers of psychology and identity and insecurity and all of that that could be dealt with in all kinds of ways. But I do want to ask the question, if God was giving you something, are you well positioned to be able to take it? Maybe not just a compliment, maybe a future, a career, a plan, a spouse, a kid, a calling, a contract. If God even sent it, would you receive it? There's something to be said about this whole space of God is good all the time, but our ability to receive the goodness of God can sometimes be really limited. And the question I wanna pose over this series is, is that a spiritual condition? And if so, can it be, can you be delivered from, breakthrough from, and step away from, so that God's ability to give can be matched by our ability to receive? Is that almost clappable there? It was almost a clappable moment. Do you know, I, I, I feel like at times there is a tension in that space. We're scared that if we say thank you, it's pride. So we fall into this weird like, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to respond. Am I supposed to accept it or not accept it? Is it uh, something I, I'm, I'm, I'm being proudful about? Is it, is it humble bragging to react in another way? Truthfully though, uh, God wants us to win because as his children, it reflects his fatherhood. You see, no parent wants their child to fail in order to teach them something. Parents want their child to win so that they can reflect their parenthood over their lives. And when a failure comes, they use it to prepare their child for the next win. And I think there's something about that space that's so crucially important. At times though, we operate in these two strange worlds, the one where the spirit of the world tells us something and the other where the spirit of God tells us something. And how to navigate that tension is probably one of the most important things at winning in faith that you could possibly have. Can you be humble and successful? Are you allowed to have ambition and humility? Can you receive from the Lord more than you can even dream, imagine, or expect according to Scripture? Or are you supposed to cut back and hang back? You know, John chapter 3 is probably one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Even like 
unsaved, like, you know, everybody knows John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So it's the giving, right? He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. God sends. But then there's this really weird, almost contradictory scripture. So I'm introducing two worlds to you. In 1 John, and I think this is very important, God loved the world, sent His Son. But 1 John says that we ought, uh, 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 do not, verse 15, sorry guys, thank you. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust in it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So here's the thing. God loved the world. And then in 1 John, do not love the world. And the reason why that scripture, it seems so contradictory is there is something in the world to love and there is something in the world not to love. And when we love the wrong things in the world, we enter into an internal conflict and we don't win at what God called us to win. You see, there are people to love toward the kingdom of God in the world, but there are things in the world to hate and stay away from and move away from. And knowing the difference of what part of the world, life in the world, I'm supposed to love and what part of life in the world I'm supposed to hate is the key to winning. How many of you know the phrase, in the world but not? I'm amazed how many of you said that out loud. That's quite amazing. I'll tell, I'll tell, I'll tell you why I'm amazed. I, and, and I'm not insulting you, I apologize. In the world but not. You know what's strange about that? That verse is actually not in the Bible. The idea is in the Bible. But that verse is actually not in the Bible the way you said it. It's not there. It's actually a prayer in John chapter 17. Uh, we'll get to it in the course of this conversation and future conversations. Jesus says, I am praying that as I send them in the world, that they will remember they are not of the world since I am not of the world and I am the one who sends them. Jesus is praying a prayer. He's saying, get into the world and love some things out in the world, not worldliness, love people. For God so loved the world, love God's plan in the world, love the opportunity to push darkness away and introduce light. Those are all things to love. But then there's the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, all those things, hate those things. Do you know, we as Christians very often, if you're a believer, are very often tempted to love the wrong part of it. And we're tempted to forget to love the correct part of it. I walked into Builder's Warehouse the other day, I was called over by somebody working there. They're probably listening. I'm going to be in big trouble. I have a habit of getting into big trouble. I had gone to buy a plant or something. I can't remember. And the lady said, George, I am so glad you're here. It is as though God sent you. I said, what's happening? She said, I'm convincing my colleague here to follow Jesus. You've got to. I can't land it. You've got to land it. You see, that's loving the world. But being wise not to love the things in the world. And I, I wonder in the tension of the balance between loving 
people in the world and the opportunities God has given us to shine His light in the world, we get trapped by worldliness and the lusts of the flesh speak louder sometimes than the love for God and we enter into tension and can't receive what God has in mind for us. Many years ago, um, when I was a university student, I, I had a, I had an, uh, what's one of those examples of aging on Saturday. But I mean, I'm only, you know, I'm a youngster. But a couple came to see me to introduce to me their son, who was registering at university. The age moment was that the parents uh, were in my res with me when we were all students together. Now his son is coming to study at the same university. I rebuked that. <laughs> but some years ago, even at the university, I actually it was a keeper of, of, of marine fish. One day God said, it's too much effort, just leave it. Or I said it, I can't remember. There's, a, there's a, a little fish, a little ocean creature that's called a cleaner wrasse. It's a saltwater thing. Rast, W-A-R-S-E. It's blue and black striped. And I was told, get one of these because they'll pick off all the parasites in your aquarium. I got one, stuck it in. The next day, several of my fish had huge bite marks. <laughs> they were scarred. I phoned the friend who gave me that advice. I said, what have you done? I've introduced the devil into my aquarium. He said, send me a photo of what you sent, what you put in. He said, well, it looks right. And then he remembered, there is a false cleaner wrasse. It looks exactly the same as the real one. It hides amongst the real ones. And the only way you can tell it's a false one is by how it moves. And it hangs out with the cleaner wrasse, which cleans the gills. And the fish get comfortable and they think, well, there's another one that's coming to clean. And it takes a bite out. Uh, be careful what you're comfortable with. Because it can look like a helper and turn out to be a harmer. You know, I once said many years ago in an evening service, not every, Judas Iscariot proved that not everybody who kisses you cares about you. And you have to have the wisdom to say, let me tell you, if you're not moving like a saved person, you're going to land up hurting. And there's this temptation of allowing ourselves to become comfortable with things that could actually take a bite out of us or could take a bite out of people around us. And we have this danger, I guess, of not recognizing the difference of being in a world, but not of the world, of recogni not recognizing the danger of loving the world, but not the things of the world. And to forget sometimes that what we're really called to do is to love somebody enough to pray for them, love somebody enough to invite them to church, love somebody enough to share the gospel with them. Because when you do that, your spirit pushes back against loving the things of the world. I, I think we've become very worldly. I mean, generally, the world has become worldly because we have access to everything, right? We have access to the most remarkable things. And then at times we forget what to genuinely love and care. Luke chapter six, 
um, it says this, it's well known. It says this, give and, and it'll be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, here's the key, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. I love this passage of Scripture because it suggests God is constantly giving, but my ability to receive is the limiting factor. With the measure with which I give, it will be measured to you. The measure I use to determine will be my capacity to receive is just so important to my experience of victory. If God gave you a compliment, would you receive it? If God gave you a spouse, would you receive it? If God gave you your healing, would you take it? If God gave you victory, would you welcome it? Or would you say, it's okay, it's, I'm okay, I'll, I'll get through. I don't want to stay where I am and thank God that I made it. I want to leave where I was and thank God for where he took me to. There's this realization, I guess, that we as believers, live in two worlds. The world which we must love <laughs> and the world we must, with, with, which we must reject. And that tension is so incredibly powerful because it teaches us to be better at listening to the Spirit. When Jesus was crucified, we sometimes forget the story. Matthew 27, uh, 37 says, that they put over his head an accusation. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. And then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. Ever wondered why there were two thieves on either side of Christ? Well, you see, the middle cross saved us. And the two robbers represented two worlds. Like in Genesis, or oh, I really want to get into this, there were two trees in Genesis of life and of the knowledge of good and evil. There were two sons, Cain and Abel. There were two prodig in the prodigal son, one who stayed and one who went. There, there, there were two worlds. The, the one who said, accused Christ and said, you're nothing. And the other who said, remember me when you enter into my kingdom. Christ died for you, the individual, but he pulled a dying world with him on the way in. And I just wanted to encourage you today, this tension of two and two by two is throughout Scripture. And figuring out how we can navigate a win in both of those is so powerful. I would like for you to win in church and lose in life. But also I want to be caught up in all the lusts of the flesh and find my faith unpleasant, without joy and without celebration. So I guess one of the great things we've got to navigate is how do we switch from being rooted in the wrong kind of world, worldliness versus loving the world that God has put before us to love? How do you, how do you get yourself out from the one to the other? Well, here's that, um, here's that verse that prayer I mentioned in John chapter 17. I'm using New King James, real old school. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world 
Oh gosh, I just want to pause there for a moment. I do so wish Christians would stop um, trying to escape reality through Christianity. We mustn't do that. We must face it and bring the light into it. If you're struggling with something, mental illness, or you're struggling with physical illness, or you're struggling with a battle, don't deny it as though that is faith. Faith is, I'm going to bring this mental illness, I'm going to bring this physical situation, I'm going to bring this temptation, this pride, this trial, and I'm going to bring it to Christ, and I'm going to walk into it, and I'm going to see a victory in it. I'm going to see a victory in it. I'm going to face it head on. I do not pray that you should be taken out of the world. Pause again. Christians should not be afraid to do well in life. We're allowed to even pray for that. Lord, bless me abundantly. The whole book of Job is about that. People came and they said, the enemy came and said, if you take all of Job's blessings, sometimes people read it as Job, hey. If you take all of his blessings, he'll curse you. And do you know what the book of Job showed? Whether you have a lot or nothing, you can still honour the Lord and glorify His name. You don't have to break somebody down in order to bring them to Christ. And just because you're doing well doesn't mean you're going to forget the Lord. You can handle both. You can win in both worlds. I am spiritually strong and I have not been taken out of the world. I have influenced it. I have shaped it. I have changed it. Clappable moments there on the... You know, we, we, we made a few radical decisions recently. I should tell you this. I, I should, because one of the testimonies I didn't read, there's a businessman in our church who started a business three, four years ago. And, and last week he told me they just last year made their first 10 million rand turnover as a company. And... I think it's important that we can hold both and honour the Lord. That was the book of Job. That was what it was. In the end, the Bible says Job's life was much greater than at the beginning because God knew he could do both. He could do nothing and a lot and it wouldn't change his spirituality. He was not worldly. He was just in the world, but he was not of it. In it, but not of it. I think there's something really powerful about it. We made a decision concerning our venue in Jeffrey's Bay. You know, we... We made a proposal to rent the building there and the proposal was basically the landlord should pay us. It was as low as a legal, I mean, we will pay revenue stamps to uh, formalize this. Anyway, the, the landlord said no. And, and Ryan uh, and I chatted and, and we prayed and we chatted and then Ryan came and saw me. He's in Uganda at the moment uh, doing a red band training. Or Ghana, I'm not sure. Is he in Uganda? And... Um, he said, you know, George, I think we must just trust the Lord and we must just offer the full rent. I said, Ryan, I don't know what prayer closet you have gone to. But uh, he said, I'll tell you what, let's just, let's just ask the Lord. Let's just make a sum and we ask the Lord. We made a sum for Jeffrey's Bay. And we said, Lord, that's what we need to trust you for. Our, our people can, can, can contribute this. We'll be able to run a household in Jeffrey's Bay. And Ryan phoned me the next day. He said, did you see last month's income report? I said, I haven't, not yet. He said, well, you remember that amount we put for Jeffrey's Bay for the first time in that church's history? They hid it last month. 
Now, you know the Lord is working when the finance people say to the pastor, do you feel the Lord has now explained enough for you what He would like to do? We have to be very careful we don't act defeated and think that's spirituality. Uh, because He has not told us to get out of the world, change it. But he goes on to pray, but that you should keep them from the evil one. We're in the world, but we're not influenced by the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also send them out into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, but they also may be sanctified by the truth. So here's what that actual statement is. Not in the world, but not of the world. The actual statement is, in the world, sent to the world, sanctified for the world. Do you see the difference? I am in the world, I've been sent to the world, and I am sanctified for the world. I do love that. I love that God has kept the tension between the two. So I want to encourage you on three things in the time I have. Three things that'll help you shift from being in the world and not of it, shifting from a worldliness to a spiritual authority. And the first idea I want to encourage you on is judge carefully, weigh carefully the source of your information. I've learned recently we get way too much unsolicited information out there. People post it, brag about it, insist on it, talk about it. And we're not yet skilled enough to know what to reject and what to accept. I'm learning and asking the Holy Spirit to teach me to sift through all my information sources because they could be worldly and not godly. And sometimes worldly information can come from a noble source. I think it's important to know that people can be nice and wrong. Is that fair to say? Romans chapter 7 and verse 5 says, For when we were in the realm of the flesh, I've been talking about two realms all morning. I was scared to use that word, but it is right there in the Bible. Uh, when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to that one, what, what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way. You see, this scripture reminds us that we were all being informed at one stage by our own lusts and passions. Do you know the greatest source of information is your own worldly desires? I know that sounds horrible to say. I know you came out for a friendly conversation. But you know what I've discovered? I have a, I don't know if this is the right word. Um, it might sound a bit too spiritist. But we all have a gravitational pull. And that gravitational pull is either our worldly desires or the authority and the leading of the Spirit. What I mean by that is, if my gravitational pull is... I am obsessed with money, 
then I am pulled towards other people obsessed with that. I only read stuff by other people who do that. If I am obsessed with a desire that is unhealthy, I hang out with people who have the same desire that is unhealthy. There is a gravitational pull. When you are born again and something is unhealthy for you, it is resisted. It doesn't connect with you because your gravitational pull is towards the things of the Spirit and not the things of the flesh. They simply will not be poured into your lap. The devil might try to pour them, but they'll run off like water off a duck's back because there's no gravitational pull in you that connects with that idea. I'll prove it in Scripture over the coming weeks because the book of James says, every one of us is led astray and enticed when our own desires hook us. See, we have to have a heavenly gravitational pull. I know that terminology is a little weird, but we'll get to it. It's all in Scripture. You see, there, there is a ascending from heaven and a receiving from us. And our gravitational pull, our spiritual dynamic should be such that it resists the devil and it follows the Spirit. So we have to judge carefully the source of our information. Secondly, we have to Judge carefully what we invest into. Galatians chapter six says, whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction, but whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit reaps eternal life. What I invest into becomes an attractional gravitational pull. Correct me if I'm wrong, I seem to remember this in science, that you could magnetize something, a piece of metal, by putting friction on it in the same continuous direction. Well, let me tell you, you can connect your spirit with something from heaven by applying a pattern of living in the same continuous direction. You see, every action I'm taking is an investment into orientating my spirit towards what heaven is sending. So you've got to investigate your investment and watch that you sow into the spaces from which you have a genuine hope for return. And then finally, what inspires you? Who do you want to be most like? I, I hope your response is Christ. Because in a world of influences, we seem to want to be most like somebody else. And I want to encourage you to ask the Lord to inspire you towards his design or creative plan for you. When you do that, you stop worrying about the enticements of the world and you start stepping into the things of the Spirit. Romans 8 says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Have you noticed that sometimes you can try your best to encourage somebody to do something? But if they've made up their mind, they're not changing it. I have enjoyed um, getting out and about and going and meeting people. I think, I mean, I'm very over COVID at the moment. And that's the wrong thing to say. People ask me, what about masks at Father's house? I just tell them, bring the coffee into church. I don't know what to say. I'm definitely going to go to jail for that one. But I've enjoyed getting out and about. But I have seen people who've made up their minds 
And when they've made up their minds, they're not changing their minds. I want to give you an encouragement today that one of the greatest gifts the Spirit can give you is the ability to change your mind. To be movable to a new idea. Shifted to a forgiveness. Moved into a new season. Let God steer your mind. I watched a parent at a restaurant try to encourage their child to buy something more appropriate to eat. Something from the kiddies menu, mom and dad said. You're going to love the chips. My boy, you love chips. But today, he wants snails. My boy, you've never had snails. You always eat chips. We'll even get you ketchup. I want the snails. The father even tried to do what sometimes we Christians do. You know, tried to manipulate the situation a little bit. They said to the waiter, just tell him there's no snails. Well, the waiter wasn't catching on. He thought the father said, so snails, rather than no snails. Snails came, an adult portion. That child gagged and in seconds asked for chips. Do you know how many times God is saying, my boy, you're not going to enjoy that. Oh, but I want that. I'm big now. I've been eating chips at home all this time with ketchup. I want this. And you order the wrong thing because your inspiration is something according to the flesh. And your flesh has caused your mind to be made up. And when your mind is made up, you are not led by the Spirit. You see, a person who's led by the Spirit ends every decision with the following statement, but not my will, your will be done. That's the key. Your will be done. The clock has literally gone to zero, but I notice I'm at 9.35. I don't know what happened. But, but I am going to invite you to a prayer. Let's embark on a journey that we know how to love the world, but not love the things in the world. That we know what it looks like to be led by the Spirit and not by the flesh. And that we can distinguish enough the difference so that our inspiration is not carnally minded, but spiritually minded, so that we can win it both in the world and winning and of the Spirit and winning. Not in the world, not of the world, in it and winning, but in the Spirit and winning. Would you please stand with me as we pray? Oh, thank you so much, Nestor. I'm not sure if each pastor is going to navigate their congregations, but I do want to pray. And don't, don't log off just yet, online church. A lot of you online today, lots. I do want to pray. I want to pray that God will teach us to discern. It's a discernment, isn't it, of the Spirit between those two things. Because a lot of people are making conclusions about a lot of things and it is not righteous decision-making. It's unrighteous. And you want to live in righteousness, eh? 
So I want to pray that prayer. And then I will invite you because it stays on record online and thousands of people see these messages online. I want to leave a prayer of salvation up. And I want to read it out. And if you pray this prayer and you're online, connect with us on our website and tell, tell us you're a new believer. We'll send you something to help you on your journey. If you're at a, a church and you pray the prayer, go speak to a pastor or a church leader. Here, we offer Bibles if you don't have a Bible and an invitation to an Alpha so you can find out about faith. So I want to still do those two things. So let's first pray that the Lord will teach us what it means to be in the world, but of the Spirit. So Father, today we thank You that You have not asked that we should be taken out of the world, but instead You have prayed that we will be sent into the world as sanctified truth. So now our declaration is that we are in the world, but we are of the Spirit. We walk into the world and bring the healing of the Spirit, the redeeming of the Spirit, the restoring of the Spirit, the reviving of the Spirit. We are in it, but with a purpose. We also pray that You will teach us to hate the worldliness and carnality and the flesh of the world. That we'll have the wisdom to distinguish between what to love and what to leave. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And I'll direct my prayer to those of you who might be on the outskirts of faith and need to make a firm commitment. This little prayer is actually found in the message. It's an actual verse. Let's pray it together. Dear Jesus, you said in the Bible that whosoever hears your words and believes, God sent you to set me free from my debt of sin, has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. I confess that I believe you and I receive salvation from my sins and new life in my soul. I too now cross over from death to life. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you have got a shout of praise and worship?